I'll start uh, this morning by asking you this question. What makes you really, really happy? What puts a big, big smile in your face? Perhaps you're a student and you've been going hard to your books and you get a test, and you take the test and you get a good grade and you're just like, yes, satisfied with it. Perhaps uh, your phone vibrates and you see a text from the boy, the girl that you like, and all of a sudden your face is glowing and your friends are around wondering what, what's going on and you're just secretly smiling inside about that text. Perhaps you have received an offer for the dream job that you had or, or a promotion. Or maybe the day has arrived where you kneel before her and you propose and you ask her to marry you and she says, yes, yes. And you are so happy, so happy that, that you want to sing and jump and shout. What is it for you? What is it that makes you want to sing and jump and shout? Well, the psalm that we're going to go through today, Psalm 96, calls us to do that, to sing, to proclaim, to celebrate, to tell, to proclaim. We've been going through a series on Psalms through the summer. We call the series Summer in the Psalms. And we have gone through a diversity of Psalms of all sorts of types. We, we went through Psalms of orientation or reorientation where you have to change the way you're seeing things and put your eyes in the right place. We also have seen Psalms of actually disorientation where, where you feel that you are disoriented and you are struggling and you are in despair you go to the Psalms. Last week, Kevin preached on Psalm 51, a psalm of humbly acknowledging your sin against the Lord, a psalm that calls you to humbly go to Him and confess and repent. But today, we are going through Psalm 96, a psalm that calls us to sing to the Lord day after day, to declare His glory, to speak of His greatness, to worship Him, to fear Him, to tremble before Him. It's a psalm that not only calls us as the people of God to do that, but it actually commands the whole earth, all the nations, and all the peoples, and even all creation to join into the acknowledgement of the greatness and the majesty and the splendor of God. In one sentence, if, you, if I want you to get something from the psalm, it's very simple, it's this, let us worship the Lord, for He is abundantly, exceedingly, unequivocally, absolutely, infinitely worthy of our praise. Let us worship the Lord because He's worthy to be praised. 
So do you mind opening your Bibles now in the book of Psalms? It's in the middle of your Bible. And if you don't mind, please, please stand as we read the Word of God. It's just uh, 13 verses. Um, follow me as I, I read these 13 verses. This is Psalm 96. The Word of God says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. A splendor and majesty are before him. A strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. You may be seated. Join me in prayer. Lord, who is equipped to speak of the greatness and the glory and the majesty and the splendor that are before you. Who is equipped to speak about who you are and how you save? I do feel my limitations and my weakness very acutely right now. And I know that I'm unable to do this apart from your grace and your Holy Spirit. So I pray, I pray that you will have mercy and that you would somehow fill me with your Spirit, that I may be faithful to your word, that you will give me words of passion and eloquence and desire to exalt your name. I pray for myself and I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray that somehow you will open our ears, you will open our eyes and give us a glimpse 
of your glory through the proclamation of your word. All these things we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So just a quick note for those of you who love taking notes. Um, this sermon does not have any points. <laughs> Zero points. So if you're trying to follow and get the points, it's not that I forgot to tell you there's no points. And that's okay. It's, it's a song. It's a poem. It's just 13 verses. So we'll just walk through it. We'll camp in a few places. We'll be fine. Don't worry. Um, as a background of the psalm itself, this psalm was written by King David and sung by King David. Actually, uh, this psalm appears in Chronicles uh, as well. And the, the, the background of the story is that uh, David had had to escape from Jerusalem, the city where he was uh, there before, and God had granted him, had blessed him, and had given him victory after victory against uh, his enemies. And at some point, Saul, which was the, the king of Israel, dies. Um, so, so David now is called to be king of Israel. So he now goes back to Jerusalem and is in a big procession. He's leading the procession. And with him and the priest, he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant of God. And the ark represents, you know, it represents the holiness of God. And, and he's bringing it back to the capital city. And he's coming to take possession of his throne. And he's so happy, so happy that, that he's going back to the city and that he's going to be crowned as the king of Israel because he recognizes that it is God who has given him favor and has allowed him to, to come to this place. And he's singing and dancing and jumping and just doing all this stuff, even, even his wife criticized him because he says, like, what are you doing? But he's so happy, so happy about this that he wants to share with everyone his celebration. And, and as he sings, he exalts the name of the Lord. So the psalm starts in verse 1 saying, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Sing, sing, sing to the Lord, he tells three times. Now songs, songs are poems composed with vivid language put into music. When you sing, your emotions are awakened. You express with words the way you feel. Sin engages your, your feelings your, your creativity, even, even your logic and your passions. You sing with your heart. You sing with your soul. We, you also sing with, with your brain as, as your mind is trying to process the lyrics that you are singing and reading, right? So all these senses are involved as you're singing, your, your eyes, your, your mouth, your ears. There's nothing like songs to express the deepest and most intimate feelings that we have. And that's why this psalm calls us to sing, to sing, to sing to the Lord three times. And what do we sing about? We sing to the Lord a new song, a fresh song. This speaks of, of the importance of having musicians and composers who 
regularly write new songs to worship the Lord. Yes, 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 we sing all profound, timeless songs and hymns. That's right. But we also seek to sing new songs composed and written by people who have a fresh desire, a passion to honor and exalt the Lord with the gifts and the skills that God himself has provided for them. That's why I'm so grateful for Ben Keeler and as he leads the band, because he has that desire. So a special word of encouragement for you guys who, who serve in the band and who have been writing these songs. Keep doing it. Keep creating. Keep composing new songs. Go deeper in your theological understanding. Grow in your knowledge of God. And may the Lord grant you to, to write hundreds, hundreds of songs that exalt and proclaim and tell about His glory, His majesty, His splendor, His worth, and His power. Grateful, grateful for you. But the psalm is not only calling musicians or members of the band to, to sing to the Lord. Second line of, of verse 1, sing to the Lord all the earth, it says. Singing to God is not confined to a group of people or to a geographic region. Yes, we're called to sing to the Lord here in Gaithersburg and in Maryland, but also in California and Texas and Michigan. Songs must resound in South America and Europe and Africa and Asia and all the ends of the world. They all need to sing to the Lord because it says here, sing to the Lord all the earth. Verse 2, sing to the Lord, bless his name. That means praise his name. And verse 8 says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Now, what is this name? What is the name that this psalm is talking about? You may have noticed in those three first sentences, the, the refrain is the same, sing to the Lord. Now, look, look at the word Lord in your Bibles. It's all caps, right? Four letters, all caps. Sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord. That's the name, the Lord. However, that's a translation of what is called the tetragrammaton. It's the four consonants of ancient Hebrew that signifies the name of God, the divine proper name of God. The Jews actually consider it too sacred to be spoken aloud. That name... Specifically, Yahweh is, is the transliteration, or Yehovah is, is translated in our Bibles as Lord in all capital letters, but that's the, that's the name of the Lord. That's the divine name of the Lord. That's the name we praise. He's the God that we sing to. 
It is not a generic God. It's not just a general superior force. We sing to Yahweh. We sing to the Lord. We sing to a specific, majestic, omnipotent, singular, unique, unparalleled being. We sing to the only true God, Yahweh, the Lord. And what do we sing about? Second line of verse 2. It calls us tell of his salvation from day to day. We proclaim the good news of his redemption. We herald, we announce how he saves, how he delivers, how he frees the captive, the slaves, the oppressed. Verse 3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. You see, the language in this psalm evokes some specific thoughts in an Israelite that is reading the psalm. When, there is, that when a person from the, from the people of Israel read these words, tell of his salvation, about his marvelous works, that just brings to memory something very specific to them. They, they recall how the Lord, with, with marvelous works of power and signs, delivered them from the yoke of Egypt. That's what they remember, how God saved them, how he defeated the powerful Egyptian king Pharaoh who kept them captive and oppressed. This liberation, this salvation is so epic for them, it's so significant that they remember this and they write about this for centuries after it happened. In fact, the Lord's salvation from Egypt is strongly fused with the identity and the history of Israel forever. Now, let's think about that for a moment. Today is August the 6th. Now, in my home country, the place where I come from, Bolivia, today we celebrate Independence Day. So just as the U.S. celebrates Independence Day on July the 4th, in Bolivia they celebrate Independence Day on August the 6th, a day like today. Now, just maybe a few of you may know the, the history. I mean, what, what is Bolivia independent? Why, why did they declare independence from, from what, you may be asking? So just a, a short history for you. Um, you may know part of this. The people from Spain took ships, crossed the ocean, and discovered the Americas. Uh, the people from Spain specifically uh, landed mostly in South America and Central America. They were conquerors. They came to dominate this new world for them with force. They conquered the land and they imposed their power. They actually uh, abused badly the locals and they took their riches, they took their gold, their silver, and many other things from them. And they, they made them slaves. And they did this for centuries until a moment that some of the locals decided to start a revolution. It, 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 it they didn't happen overnight, but they started like uh, organizing themselves. And there was a man called Simon Bolivar. And this man with other leaders started a revolution. And after 
many, many battles and at the cost of many, many lives, eventually the songs of freedom start resounding one country at a time. And at some point, my, my country, Bolivia, declared its independence from the Spaniard yoke on an August 6th. Now, can you imagine how would it feel for people like that, that have been oppressed and abused for centuries? Their feelings and, and their joy when, when they come to a day and they declare, we are free. No more abuse, no more oppression. We are free. And how happy they would be to finally arrive to that point and how grateful they would be to Simon Bolivar and all the leaders that fiercely fought for them, for their freedom. How, how would you be? I mean, Bolivians were so happy that actually they named the country from Bolivar. That's what the name means. Bolivia is the daughter of Bolivar because it represents his work, his fight. He freeing many countries. One of them is called Bolivia in honor of him. Now, going back to the psalm that we are reading, when David and the Israelites sing to the Lord, they look back in time and they read their Bibles. They remember their Bibles. They read their Old Testaments. They, they tell their children about these things. They recount the marvelous, glorious works of salvation of Yahweh, their Savior, their champion, their deliverer, their Lord. And they celebrate Him as their Lord, as the Savior, with joy, with gratitude, with passion, because, because they know that they were delivered by Him. He's the one who saved them. And they tell this not only among each other. They don't only tell to their children. They, they tell everyone. They tell all that. Read with me again. Verse 3. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. Declare, proclaim, and shout about His glory among the nations. Tell about His saving acts among all the peoples. Now you and I, have not experienced these marvelous works of liberation from Egypt. But this salvation that occurred millennia ago was just anticipating a much larger event, a cosmic, universal, extraordinary act of deliverance the salvation of the world, the deliverance from sin. You and I have been joined, grafted into God's people. We who believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, have been saved from slavery to sin. We have been freed out of darkness and given a new life to worship Him. So we now can join David and the people of Yahweh in their worship and their call to tell, to proclaim, to herald, to announce His glory and His marvelous works of salvation just like them. We get together and sing and shout and rejoice of His salvation. We get together and recount and remind each other of the glory and the works of our Lord, and we also are called to tell the nations and all the peoples about who He is and how He saves. Yes, 
We are called to tell Americans and Bolivians and Peruvians and Brazilians and Canadians and French and Russians and Indians and Chinese. We declare to everyone, to every nation and to every people about his glory and about his marvelous works, his power, his redeeming acts of salvation. But not only to Christians. We also tell to Muslims and to Buddhists and to atheists, all the earth needs to hear about God's marvelous work of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And when do we tell about His salvation? It's not that we all come together on Sunday and we get together for 90 minutes and we do our duty and we sing and we raise our hands and then we go back home and back to business, to real life. Monday comes and it's a different story. No, no, no. Tell of his salvation from day to day. So Monday comes and I wake up and say, wow, today, Tell of his salvation today. Today is the day that I tell about his salvation. Today is the day that I remember the greatness of God and his marvelous acts through which he saved me. And we do the same on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And Sunday comes back again. And oh, glorious Sunday, we get together again and we do it again and again and again and we sing and we sing and we sing to the Lord. Why? Why we do that? Verse 4, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Verse 6, a splendor and majesty are before him, a strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. The whole world, including you and me, need to hear day by day, day after day, great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. He's surrounded by splendor and majesty, power, omnipotence, strength, and beauty are in his, are in his sanctuary where he dwells. He's awesome. He's majestic. He's infinite. He's glorious. He's extraordinary. He's great. He is great. And he's greatly, abundantly, exceedingly Worthy to be praised and adored and worshipped. Second line of verse 4, he is to be feared above all gods. Verse 9, second line, tremble before him all the earth. When we sing to the Lord, we sing with joy, we sing with gratitude, we sing also with reverence, with fear and even terror. What a combination. Oh, yes. Yes. We should not fear those who can hurt us and even kill our body. Instead, we should fear and tremble before Him who can heal and destroy our body and our soul in hell. That's the one who we should fear and tremble before him. Oh, yes, he's loving, he's kind, he's merciful, he's gracious, but he's also holy and just 
and righteous and omnipotent and powerful and strong. I by no means he will clear the guilty. Oh, by no means he will clear the guilty or the sinner. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He's consuming fire. He is to be feared above all gods. Don't fear the gods of the Egyptians. Don't fear the gods of the Babylonians or the Greek or the Romans. Do not fear the curses or witchcraft. Do not fear voodoo dolls. Do not fear the uncertainty of the stock market. And do not fear fanatic terrorists. Don't get me wrong. They can hurt you. They can kill your body. But you know what? As soon as they do that, you'll be facing your king. You'll be in front of the Lord while they, one day, will have to give an account for every evil act that they did. And they will pay for each one of them for eternity. So fear the Lord above all gods. Verse 5, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. You know, I don't say this with pride. I say this because this is what the Word of God teaches. Buddha cannot hear you. Allah, Ra, or Mother Earth, they cannot do an act or do anything to save you. They are worthless idols who do not have ears, who do not have eyes, who do not have hands, who do not have power. They are man-made false idols, and they cannot save you. When you are in big trouble or need or you have a chronic disease, all those false idols, worthless idols cannot do anything, neither money or politicians or science or technology. They all have the limitations. Self-esteem and positive thinking can just take you so far. But there is one. Who made the heavens out of nothing. He spoke. And the galaxies were made and the planets and the black holes and the stars. He's the one who sustains them today by the word of his power. He's the one who last night, while you were sleeping, he commanded your heart to beat so the f blood will flow through your veins. He's the one who gave you this morning bread. He's the one who brought you today to church so you can sing to him. He's omnipotent, glorious, strong, and great, and he can save he made the heavens and the universe out of nothing. And he sustained the universe every microsecond of its existence. Verse 10, 
Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. The world is established not because the world has accumulated so much wisdom through, through, through time and has evolved to the point of knowing how to behave, how to conduct itself, how to preserve itself. No. It's not that inanimate cosmic dust randomly exploded and resulted in magical self-creation and wisdom. Oh, no. The world is established and should never be moved because God sovereignly created and God sovereignly sustains it every single day. Young people, old people, do not buy into the deceitful, empty, and false belief that the universe evolved to make itself with no intervention of a supreme, intelligent, omnipotent God. The fool says in, her, in his heart, there's no God. Secular science with no God in view is just an other worthless idol made by proud, foolish men who oppose God, <laughs> not realizing that it is God who gives them breath and the neuronal synaptic power in their brains to build these scientific myths that deny him. But one day they will have to give an account before him because he is coming to judge the world with equity. We have this noble call to sing to the Lord who made the heavens, who established the world, and who preserves it, the Lord who reigns and who will judge the peoples with equity. But you know what? We're not the only ones who are called to worship, to, to be glad, to rejoice, to roar, to exult in the omnipotence of God. Read with me verses 11 and 12. It says, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. See, we sing with all our might, with all our souls, with all our hearts, and with us the sun and the planets and the stars and the galaxies and the comets and the black and dark and invisible matter that we cannot see yet, they all are glad in the Lord. The whole planet Earth rejoices. The oceans roar, the waves break with unstoppable power, singing the song to the king and all that is in the seas. The whales and the sharks and the dolphins and the manta rays, the jellyfish and the unknown creatures that abide, that dwell in the depths of the ocean, they all hail to the king. The fields with colorful flowers and the beautiful green fields, they all exalt their creator. All the trees in the forest, all of them joining the symphony and sing for joy. Why? Why are they so happy? Why are they so excited? Verse 13, for he comes. 
for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. They rejoice, they are glad, they sing for joy because the Lord is coming. He's coming to judge the world. He's coming to put things right. He's coming to judge with equity, with righteousness, with faithfulness. If you struggle with putting your, your trust and your confidence, if, if, if every time you hear about elections, you start like just like, oh, getting apprehensive because you don't know if to vote right or left or this or that, you know what? You're always going to be disappointed. They will always be imperfect. If you're putting your trust in any of them, you are doomed to failure. But one day, the Lord is coming to earth and he's coming to judge and to govern and to reign with equity, with justice, with righteousness, with faithfulness. King Jesus came and was born as a baby to inaugurate this kingdom, and he died, and he rose again, and he's now seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is coming back. And he will establish and consummate his kingdom on earth forever. In the meantime, you and I have the privilege and the honor to worship him. So a few weeks ago, I went on a trip on vacation and I ate something and I got food poisoning. And it was so bad, it knocked me out for at least five days, but of all those two five days, two, were really, really bad. I spent more time in the bathroom than in my bed. While my body was just violently trying to get rid of that demonic microorganism <laughs> that caused me so much misery. I was just, I think I lost like eight pounds in a week. And I was like, felt warm and hot and sweaty and, and I got the chills and I felt weak and tired and I, I thought I was at the gates of hell. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. I think it just felt like I had this momentary illustration of how horrible hell will be except that hell will be orders of magnitude worse. It will be miserable and hopeless, and it will never come to an end. But, you know, this experience gave me a renewed urgency to tell others that rejecting Jesus will have extremely tragic and irreversible consequences. So some of you here are flirting with the world. And some of you who are watching or listening online too, I don't know who you are, but I know that you're out there. And you're not right with God. Please listen to me. 
There's a day that you will have to give an account to the Lord. And if you're not right with him, there will be not a second chance. Today is the day of salvation. Today, run to Jesus Christ and accept his freely offered to you gift of salvation through faith in his name. There's no other way to get to the Father, only through faith in Jesus Christ. So please, run to him. Do not wait until tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. As, as I came out from those five difficult days, I remember walking one, of, one or two days after that, and I just couldn't. I was praying, and I couldn't help. Just tears just flow out of my eyes. Tears of gratitude, tears of relief, tears of thankfulness, because the Lord had taken me out, had healed me from that experience, but more acutely, I was freshly aware of the salvation through Jesus Christ. I, was, I, was, I had a renewed gratitude for Jesus who gave his life and suffered in my place so I will never experience the horror of the reality of hell. Oh, how sweet was the day and he opened my ears and, I, and he called me by my name and I could see my need of a savior. And I bowed down before him and I came to believe in Jesus Christ. And as I was surveying the wondrous cross where the Prince of glory died for me. My heart was filled with gratitude, with awe, with joy, and a desire to sing, sing, sing to my Lord, to tell of his salvation from day to day, to shout and declare his glory, to say, great, great are you my Lord and my Savior because you were slain in my place and you're worthy of honor and glory and power and dominion and worship and praise forever and ever. So it is my prayer that me, that I and you will have this renewed passion to ask him, for him to put in our hearts the desire to, to proclaim his worthiness, to, to tell about his glory and his greatness, to sing to him, to worship him, and to be grateful for his amazing salvation that he provided through Jesus Christ. So please stand up now and join me in worshiping our Lord because he's worthy, he's exceedingly, abundantly, unequivocally, absolutely worthy worthy of our praise.